Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today my guest is Allison Mackey, the author of The Edge of Every Win. Allison, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me today. All right, now the, the very first thing that I want to talk about is the title of the book, uh, because it is, um, I, well, like a lot of aspects of the book, I think it's very unique. It really stands out to me. So at what point, before we, and I we may need to talk about what the book is about to really discuss the title, um, but when did you decide on the edge of every win for the title of this book? Um, I will say that it was not the working title from the beginning. Mm -hmm. The title was a lot more boring. When I first wrote it, it was called Uncle Lonnie's Bookshop <laughs> uh, because there's a, mm -hmm. a, a Aunt Beryl and her husband was Uncle Lonnie, and it takes place in his library. But it just didn't have the oomph that it needed. So um, I did the first draft, and I did a lot of research about submitting a novel and what would make a, a novel jump off the shelf. And really, you know, people do judge a book by its cover. So the first things were title and cover. And I knew I needed a title that would stand out. So while I was researching the content, it was a, you know, it has a spiritual basis to it about the concept of every win. And um, it was a crucial part of the book. And there's a chapter that explains what every win is, you know, the spiritual aspect of the timelessness of God. And I thought, man, that's a word we don't see very often. And it just sort of stuck with me. So I decided to rename the book while I was rewriting it, probably at the I don't know, third or fourth draft, because I knew that it would stand out. Right. Yeah, and it definitely did. And that was, I think, what what initially drew me to the book, um, even before uh, Jeannie Wynn had, had sort of tracked me down and sent it to me. Um, it, apropos of nothing, just asked me, can I can I make sure that your address is is still correct? And I said yes. She's like, I have a book to send you. And I said, okay, I trust you. And uh, this was already a book that had been on my to read list. I just uh, hadn't gotten to it yet. So um, and based on the title alone, had interested oh great. Me. Um, <laughs> so my research proved yeah, it uh, did. Correct. <laughs> it did. It did because uh, you know I it, you know it, this 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 book is um, sort of marketed as like a middle grade fiction. And yeah. that's, you know, just, that's not typically what I, as a 30 year old male read. Uh, but, <laughs> but I do, it, it, I, I find a nostalgia in that sort of level of book, uh, just because that's around the age that I began to love reading. Uh, and I've had a lot of requests, uh, from readers of life is story to say, you know, I, I have a kid who's nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, what's a good book for them? So I, I've been diving back into middle grade fiction more recently, uh, and and finding that I enjoy it, and it's great, you know, as a quick read. If I have you know an hour or an hour and a half or two hours to read instead of you know four or six or eight hours or whatever for a novel. Exactly. Yes, adults will find it a really fast read, but you know. I have seen on the Goodreads reviews that many adults say, wow, I was expecting a kid's book, and I liked this one, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, some middle-grade fiction skews toward the lower end of of that age range, uh, and this is probably probably on the higher end, both in terms yes, of, I would agree with that. of the yeah. size of the book. Um, mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's not YA fiction. 
but it, it's something that you know because you have you have books that are like um, uh, Captain Underpants uh, and the Secular Realm, right? And chapter or, books, really chapter short books. chapter books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I recently read uh, Mike Naraki's uh, Dead Sea Squirrels series, and, <laughs> and you know, and that 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 skews lower on the on the scale and this is a little this is a little higher and and, and has a lot higher concepts uh as well as a result of that um so this is the book that that it had interested me and it was like okay if i can get to it i'll get to it and then when when uh judy Wynn was like hey i'm gonna send you a book i didn't know which one it was gonna be so when it came i was like well this is a sign that this is a book i'm supposed to read (laughs) wonderful uh, (laughs) dove right into it now can you tell me is, is the the cover that's on the I have an advanced reader copy is the the cover that's on that copy is that the final cover or do you know? Um, the you broke up there for a moment, but I think I got the gist of your question. The the um, advanced reader copy you got does have the final artwork, except for just a little bit of maybe foil cover changes. I think the words mm-hmm. "edge of everyone" are going to be in gold. Okay. I think that's about the only difference on the final copy. Yes, because the the cover, and I'll, I'll try to describe it, is the the two main characters, uh, Piper and Phoenix, and they're looking into the Forbidden Library, yeah. and um, they are seeing one particular book stand out to them, and there's sort of like light surrounding it, and um, that is is just in itself, just in the cover, a pretty good. Um, a, a pretty good introduction to the story. So let's start with that. Let's start with Piper and Phoenix. They are looking into this this old ornate library, and there's one book that's sort of magically standing out to them. Um, what is the story of The Edge of Everyone? Uh, well, the story, um, in a really short nutshell, it's about a book that tells each reader the story that they need to hear. And so the children discover this book in their rich old aunt's library. The children have gone through a tragedy. Um, they've lost their mother and their father is missing overseas and they're sent to live with their aunt. And this book calls out to them. It's an omniscient book and it has its own voice. And it is a book that tells each reader the story that they need to hear at that moment. And so it's, it's mysterious. It draws them in and, um, it's based on the the concept was I was on social media back in 2015 and saw this comment that someone had made in passing about, oh, someone should write the book of requirements. And so for fans of Harry Potter, it's a reference to the room of requirements. The room of requirements featured heavily in um, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, the magic room that appeared only when the student had need of it. And the concept of that just really, it was like a mic drop moment. I thought, oh, my goodness, I need to write that book. So this is the book of requirement that appears right when they need it and gives them whatever story they need to hear. And so that would mean the book would need to be omniscient to tell them the thing they need to hear. So that's kind of the nutshell of what the book is. Hmm. Now, how, how do Piper and Phoenix end up in this particular library? Well, they, uh, they, their mother um, dies in a car accident, and their father's missing, so their rich old aunt is the only person, uh, living relative, so they're sent to live with her. And the moment they arrive at her 
enormous empty stately home um, the book begins to call their names so it's actually calling out to them Mm -hmm. and the scene on the front cover is a scene in the book when the children actually go into the library to you know they're a little bit afraid of this book that's sort of calling their name and has this strange light around it um and so that's how they end up looking at the book is that it's been whispering to them and calling them saying, hey, come read me. I have a story to tell you. Um, all right. So one of the things that this book sort of reminded me of just in terms of the concept of, of children going to live with a, a relative who may not really like them or want to have them there. Uh, it really, it really uh, reminded me of a series of unfortunate ev- events. Yeah, uh, was was that, <laughs> and even I think a little bit in the tone of the book and and the writing style uh, seemed to be similar to to that series. So was that was that an influence for you as you were writing? You know, not really. I have read that book, the, just the first one. Of course, I saw the movie, um, but. I felt like the series of unfortunate events was more, I found more humor in it than I felt like was in mm-hmm. mine. And I felt like the pro, the antagonist, you know, the bad guy was so much worse than my <laughs> Aunt Beryl, the quote unquote bad guy. I felt like uh, the evilness, you know, mm-hmm in uh, the series of unfortunate events was much more diabolical mm-hmm, than mine. Sure. And I wanted mine to be a little bit lighter. Than mm-hmm. That. Mm-hmm. So they, they're dealing with this new living situation. They're dealing with their aunt who is rather standoffish. Uh, and they find this book that calls out to them and they read it and they can only read it once, but it, it's this, exactly the story that they need. And, and, and not only are they reading this, but there's also the narrator of The Edge of Every Wind is this book. And you use that as the, as the narration device, and you use the term dear reader uh, for the book to address the readers. Can, can you just talk about that? Like what, what made that device, uh, what made you think of that device for the story? Well, when I first drafted it, it was not from that first person omniscient narrator point of view, it was third person, primarily focusing on Piper. And so I wrote the first draft and I spent several months editing it. And part of my research about getting a novel published, I wanted to read all the other books that are out there. I wanted to see, you know, what's missing, what's unique. I knew it had to be stand out something different. So um, there was a book that I came across. It's not a, a middle grade book. It's a children's book but it heavily influenced my decision to change the narrator. And it's called The Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lethmore. <laughs> and if you have about 15 minutes, you should look up the video on YouTube. It won an Oscar for this animation. And the book is adorable. And it's a, it's a story about a man who becomes involved with sentient books. And the, and the books have feelings and they have thoughts and, and it's just such a cute book. It really influenced me um, to change that perspective. And it mm-hmm. gives it gave me the impression, hey, books have feelings. And I thought, oh, well, of course, my book also will have feelings because he has to be omniscient in order to tell the reader the story they need to hear. And I thought, 
wow, that's the perfect device is to make it from his point of view. And I do this is Kate DiCamillo, and in The Tale of Despera, she does, she addresses, she doesn't say dear reader, but she says reader, you know, she addresses the reader, and I love right. that as well. Um, so those two books really did influence me to change my perspective, and I went and read all the books I could find in the middle grade, and I didn't find a one of them that had used the omniscient book point of view. So that's what I decided. It was, but it was probably the second draft that I changed the point of view completely. To me. Mm-hmm. I, I think what that does yeah. is that it really helps. Uh, I think young readers too are feeling like, wow, I'm being spoken. You know, some something speaking directly to me. And that first person perspective yeah. is is helps capture them, brings them really into the into the book. Um, yes, and it makes them feel like they're part of the story when they're being mm-hmm. addressed it makes them it draws them in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so as um piper and phoenix are sort of settling into this new life um you know overcoming the tragedy of the death of their mom and the uncertain and certain uh, uncertainty of where their their father is then we also get a a series of scenes from the father's point of view and uh he has been captured and is is um you know trying to well first trying to heal and then trying to escape um can you tell us a little bit about that storyline without giving away too much well i wanted i didn't want the you know the dead father scene i guess the mm. dead parents both so many dead right. parents that was something one of the one of the librarians joked about this note this kids fiction so many dead parents you know i wanted there to be um a subplot i guess you know the children's uh pursuit of this magic book is the main story and i thought well what's a good subplot you know it's for middle grade you're not going to bring romance into it because that's not really a middle grade appropriate subject and i thought okay well the whole book really revolves around hope and I thought what's the most hopeful thing is oh their dad you know their father and it really it made it a full circle for me that the father could pray and God would answer his prayer that the children would have dreams about him coming home and you know find peace in that and then just his uh his flight out would build tension and I used it as a tension building device as well and then of course that you know there's the climactic ending that I won't reveal. <laughs> um, so definitely um, it was, I won't sort of milked it as a tension building device. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we, we go through the book and every chapter is headlined with a quote of some sort. Um, and that was probably the most fun part of the entire <laughs> book was making up those quotes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, now, uh, some of them are references to to uh, well, I think you have some some scripture references in there, and yes. I, I want to say there are a few that are from from uh, actual books. Or are they all from actual books, or are some of them made up? Well, here's the story about that. When I first wrote it. I included quotes that were from real books, mm-hmm. and they were 
all over the map, um, real authors, present day, past. And when I was accepted for publication, I learned that it was my responsibility to that held the rights for those snippets and get their permission mm-hmm. and pay money. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, that's quite a daunting process not to mention expenses. Mm-hmm. So I came up with all of my own. So none of those are real books, not a single one. Okay, They're made okay. to look like real books and mm-hmm. the authors are people from my family tree and random names <laughs> that I've generated. So it was an intentional device to make them look like real people and real books, but 100% of them are fictitious. Okay. Now, uh, there are a couple. There was one that's a public domain, I think, and okay. where there was attribution required, it, it is given at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, so I remember reading through them, and the first few I was like, hmm, I, 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 I could not tell. Uh, and then... <laughs> And then there was a couple where I was like, "Oh, I think I recognize that." And so, <laughs> so you did a you did a very so good I'm job. Then I, I need to go back. I need to go back and look at which ones I think that I that I knew the knew what the quote was. Um, yes, I uh, I read. Um, I actually did spend some time looking in the public domain for snippets and pieces, and and as part of my research, I read lots of book centric books. You know, mm-hmm. bibliophile books books about libraries and all that. And so I guess just spending time in that sort of literature inspired me enough to be able to come up with my own and make them sound real. And right. it really, that was a lot of fun. I, I wrote all of those quotes within about a week's time because I had a deadline in order to get them submitted. Mm-hmm. And it was very fun. Yeah, and this this whole book is very much just a, a love letter to literature. Uh, you, oh, that's you a really. I love that. I love that. We're going to put that on a flag. <laughs> yeah, you can it do is. that. You can it do is. that. Uh, it is. It's. It's. It's just this love letter to literature. It's going. And I think that that's the, what stood out to me is that kids, kids that, that this book is marketed to, they're going to some of these. They're going some of the books that I mentioned. They're going to have heard of, but not read yet because of their age. It's going to be right. a sort of like you know. In the future, you know, nudge, nudge, this is what you'll get into. Yes. And there are some of them that they'll have not heard of ever. Um, you know, so this is this is very much an, an introduction to to the world of story uh, f- to an age group that yes. that may not be as familiar um, with those with those stories. Uh, and, and yes, my know, hope is that they will look them up because I know mm-hmm. that's what I do if I'm in a story about books and they reference one in an interesting way, I will go add it to my to be read list. And that's mm-hmm. what my hope is for these kids that read them and run into one they've never heard of. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it really struck me as like, you know, that this, this book is crafted uh, to give kids a love of reading, a love of literature. And then not just to say, here's, here's one book. Um, but here's an introduction to all different kinds of books, and uh, yeah, you know Piper in in particular and her love of reading uh, really comes through. That she there's so many books that she mentions, and so you know seeing that well here's the main character and this is what she's reading. Oh, I want to go out and I want to read you know read that book too. Um, so if you're a parent and you're wanting to get your your kid uh, reading more. Um, or maybe introduce them to some classics. 
this this book would be a good way of doing that uh, because of of course they're, they're going to want to read Nova's Fabula, so you're you're going to have to try to find <laughs> that one. I don't know how you're going to manage that. Uh, <laughs> You've gone into hiding. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I I, also, I want to talk about the character of of Phoenix uh, because of how you characterized him, and and, and uh, Phoenix has autism. Uh, and I, I felt like it was really well done, uh, the way that you created his character, because a lot of times in books, uh, regardless of the age group that it's, that it's for, um, any sort of, of special needs character, I think particularly autism is really portrayed as a device. Um, it's used in the plot for something. Uh, rather right. than just being an As organic, a means to an end. Yeah. yes, rather than just being an organic part of the story, and I, I just wanted to compliment you on, on your, you know, portrayal of Phoenix, and that it was, it was very true to life, and it wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't a stick. It was, it was just, oh, yeah, done to. Am I? Um, Go ahead. My great nephew is um, on the spectrum, and uh, he is nonverbal, mm. and. When I wrote the first draft, I had a dear friend named Talitha. Hi, Talitha, if you're listening. Um, and she had at least one child on the spectrum. And she spent a couple of hours on the phone with me just going over what worked and maybe what didn't work. And I have friends who have um, autistic siblings or siblings with other special needs that, that are similar Um down syndrome or that sort of thing. And the bond between them and their sibling is just beautiful. It, it, these people that have special needs siblings are some of the kindest, most patient, most gracious people I have ever met. And it's because their perspective on the human experience is just different than, than people that don't have a special needs person in their life. So, and I didn't want it to be a gimmick. I didn't want it to be just, oh, we have to include a diverse person, so we're going to throw a special needs child in there. Um, because it's becoming more common. You know, there's any child, you say, do you have a special needs student in your class? And they'll say yes. And I hope that maybe this portrayal of Phoenix as a normal boy with a different perspective on life would help these kids to maybe not be afraid of making friends with someone with special needs. Yeah, there's uh, early on in the book, um, then uh, uh, Piper asks one of the other characters, Mr. Green, if you know he's aware of, of what autism is when, when he's first meeting them. And the way that he responds um, to that as, as basically just saying that he's uh, that it makes him see life with a different perspective, um, yes. I think was really I, I think it would be eye opening for a lot of kids. Because we don't really talk about uh, special needs, like like it's becoming more prevalent. It's be, you know I think it's becoming more of a topic that's considered, um, but it's is not something really that we you know tell children sort of the details regarding you know and, and it, or or I don't know it's just, it's just something that's difficult for adults to explain to children uh, because it's it's, yeah. something that's, it's something that's difficult for adults to explain to other adults. Uh, just, just so <laughs> that true. just so that simple that simple way of just being like he just you know he, he he's different um 
he has a different way of, of looking at the world, and and that comes across in a very positive positive way. Um, yes, and I wanted to keep it simple because kids can grasp that. You mm-hmm. know, he it means he learns and expresses himself differently than other people. Like, oh, okay, and it makes it less um, formidable, less scary, less yeah. weird or whatever. You know that that it just makes him. Oh, it's a normal kid with a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, I know that um, my son is at least not diagnosed on the spectrum, but is uh, two and a half and is very delayed in his language skills. So I could definitely relate to some of the, um, yeah, just, just some some aspects of that having a character who who's can't talk. Uh, and and some of the changes that happen through through the book. Um, so I just really just really appreciated that that character uh, through the story. Um, let, let's let's move on to this is your this is your debut novel. This is your yeah. first novel. Yeah. <laughs> um, we we have we have some people who, who listen to this podcast that are writers. They're wannabe writers, and they want to get that first book published. Can you talk a little bit about your journey toward getting this book? in print. Yes. Okay. Um, it started with NaNoWriMo. I don't know if you're familiar with that, the National Novel Writing Month. Um, if you're not familiar with it as a listener, go check it out. It's free. It, the premise is every November, you just sign up to say, hey, I'm going to write a novel. In the month of November, I'm going to write 50,000 words. And it's, there's just camaraderie and a lot of encouragement. Um, so that's kind of what got me on the track of writing novels. I've been a writer my whole life since I was eight, but I just decided, okay, I want to do this. I think I had found, I was reading things and I thought I can do better than this. I mean, really that's what it came down to. I thought, Oh, I can do something better than this. So um, I did the NaNoWriMo thing starting, I think in 2003, I don't know, a, a long time ago. Every year I wrote another novel. So that's the first advice is write a lot. You've got to write a lot. You know, if you've only written one, chances are your writing needs some work. And so you just write, continue to write, write every day if you can. Um, And the second thing is to read a lot. If you don't know what award-winning fiction sounds like, it's going to be hard to create it just off the cuff. I don't think you need an English degree. I do have one, but I absolutely don't think that's necessary. But you do need to know that's out there. Um, so read a lot, write a lot. Uh, be brave enough to share your writing. I joined several online Facebook groups that, hey, I'll read your manuscript if you read mine, you know, where they don't know you. They're a stranger and they won't be afraid to say, hey, this part doesn't work at all. Or this part was really funny. Or give you really objective feedback. Um, a lot of writers say, oh, I don't want to share it. They're going to steal my idea. Well, professional writers don't do that. <laughs> so just make sure that your your beta readers who um, you employ are on the up and up or whatever. Um, that was very helpful to have have beta readers. I actually used kid beta readers, too. I, I found about eight, nine, and ten-year-old girls um, who agreed to help a new author out and they gave me feedback on the book, which was great. So I honed it down. Uh, there's there's two books that I recommend every writer read. Um, the first one is called On Writing by Stephen King. And it was by far, hands down, the best 
book on the craft of writing that I read. I've read a bunch of them. It's full of F-bombs, so if F-bombs bother you, read it anyway and just skip over the F-bombs. Um, when I read that book, I completely redrafted my novel using his suggestions, and I landed an agent about three months later. So I really believe that um, the advice he gave in that book affected my writing in, in a really positive way. Um, so I, I got it where I felt like it was um, marketable. The query letter was huge. I, I wanted an agent. I didn't want to go direct to publishers because I wanted an agent who knew what they were doing to get me the best deal possible, number one. Number two, if you go direct to, to publishers, I found that they tend to want this really detailed marketing plan. And I'm like, oh, um, I don't mind doing some marketing, but that is not my forte. I'd rather pay an agent to get me a book deal with a publishing house with a marketing budget. <laughs> um, so I went out and got a copy of The Writer's Market. I can see my 2016 Writer's Market book sitting here on my bookshelf. And it is a list of every agent, publisher, or magazine contest that's out there available right now. How to submit, what to submit. And I followed the directions to the letter. I made sure I submitted to agents who only wanted my genre because, you know, no sense submitting to an agent if all they want is romance or, you know, sci-fi. So uh, I went on a list of about probably 100 agents who were going to be receiving new submissions. Um, I got 43 rejections. <laughs> you know, rewrote it and then resubmitted, worked on my query letter, had huh, 15 drafts of my query letter because the query letter has to hook that agent. And what I found out that was a shock to me, many agents don't want to see a sample of your writing at all. They want your query letter and nothing but because the concept of the book has to be saleable. If it's not a unique concept, you know, if I'm going to sell them a vampire story, they're not going to want to read it because, you know, the Twilight thing has has kind of run it under the ground. So um, I honed down my query letter so it was really captivating. And then I submitted, and you've got to follow all the directions. Some want a query letter and a synopsis. Some want three pages. Some want 10 pages. Some want six chapters. Some want your bio. And you have to do, you know, cross your T's, dot your I's, and do exactly what they say. Um, as a person of faith, I prayed over it tremendously. And followed all the steps. And so finally in October of, let's see, was it, 20, I can't, I've lost track of the years now. I think it was 2018 <laughs> uh, that I finally did land an agent. No. Uh, anyway, yeah, I landed an agent by following the writer's market. And so that's my encouragement. Read a lot, write a lot, and then do it the old-fashioned way. And I didn't know anybody in the, in the industry. That's a myth I've heard. Oh, you've got to know somebody. I didn't know anybody. I just did it. You know, I kept querying and did not give up. Yeah, yeah, and I think that shows it's a process. Uh, it's a lot. You know, a lot of writers just okay. I did the work of writing, and that's you know, if you if you want it published, that's the the work of actually writing the book and finishing the book is only step one. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, it's only absolutely. step one out of out of yes. many. And um, you yes. know, and, and, and those other steps process. are out. Yeah, those other steps are maybe more out of your wheelhouse too. Um, but you have to be willing to go through the process and say, you know, if you really feel connected to a book, you're going to say, okay, I really do believe in this. I think that it is good. 
Um, and not just for me, but for the story that I've written, I'm going to take the time and put in the time to go through this process. And hopefully someone will yes. will see, you know, will recognize that. And then having it recognized is just great. Um, so I'm sure that yeah. it's just, you're just, it's just so, so great to, you know, see what, what was your reaction like when you just like first saw like, oh my goodness, my book is bound. It's, oh, you know. I cried. <laughs> okay. I cried when I got the email that the agent wanted to represent me. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that moment I was all by myself. My husband was out of town. My kids, they were out of town and I was alone and I'm like, man, I don't have anybody to celebrate with. <laughs> and then, um, it was, uh, a year and a half later when she, um, we finally got the actual public, you know, publication contract, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> cried then as well, just because it was, you know, everything's new. So I cried when I got the cover art, you know, uh, when I got my arc in the mail, it was, it's been a really neat, it's been a weird journey to it, see the actual book. I'm like, wow, I wrote that. Um, one of the coolest things about this, newbie thing uh they're making an audio book for it and um they said okay what's the voice i said oh he's male and he's british and he's baritone those are definite (laughs) must-haves in my audio book reader so they they found this lovely british gentleman um and they sent me a snippet of the first like minute of him reading and i cried then too (laughs) so i got to hear that um and it was weird hearing my words read by mm-hmm. someone else and it was just it was beautiful so yes it's been uh strange people going oh i want your autograph that's weird <laughs> that's really weird um but it's exciting yeah and yeah. and i'm just really hoping for more i hope it's just the beginning of, of a whole lot more publication yeah so what what do you hope that readers kids or adults what do you hope that they take away from this book uh, after they read it? Um, Well, it's a kind of a story of hope. You know, there's really hard circumstances. We all have tough, tough things. Losing a parent is a really hard thing. Um, And even right now, we're going through a really weird phase in the world. Things Mm -hmm. can be hard, but there is hope. You can lean on your family. That's one of the big things is leaning on your family family reconciliation where, you know, the formerly estranged relative is brought back into um, a loving relationship. Um, the the faith aspect of it for me is huge, you know, that prayer works and that faith is for everyone. And then, you know, you, you said it perfectly, a love letter to literature. I was one of those readers, and I devoured every book that I could get my hands on. And so um, just to pique their interest in reading other books um, just to expand their, their literary horizon. So mm-hmm. I guess all of it kind of play into what I hope they'll take away. Yeah, I think, I think it will. Uh, so you said you hope this is only the beginning for you. And I have to say, I, I am hoping exactly the same. And I, I like to close out every interview by asking authors this. And I, I, I like to do it, but I also hate to do it because you've put all your work into <laughs> this book, but I have to ask what's next. And I feel bad. I really do. Uh, because I, you know, I'm like, you know, I've spent four years or however long on this one book and you're asking me what's next. Uh, like, no, that's a great question. Um, there's always a book being written. Um, I, I read something from another author and I really can't recall who, if you get writer's block, put that book away and start work on your other book. And that is a huge, 
huge thing for me. If you get stuck, just you have to just stop, let it simmer in the background, and then you can come back to it with fresh eyes in six months or something. So um, I do hope that this is the first of a trilogy. Um, LifeWise purchased just book one, and book two is in the editing phase. Book three is in the plotting phase. So, of course, that's my hope is that there will be two and three. I'm also working on a young adult kind of alt-medieval um, allegory based on a dream that one of my children had. It was a really, really cool dream. I'm not going to share it, but it's a it's a allegory um, set kind of in an alt-medieval warring society. And then um, I've got some other um, characters sort of make themselves known to me. I had I have a friend she she has a really beautiful last name, and her name her last name is Winderweedle. And uh, she started a a blog called Whimsy Weedle. And I thought I pictured a character when she said what her blog name was, Whimsy Weedle. I'm like, oh, that's a person. And to me, that's like this ten year old girl. <laughs> and so I have this character sort of ruminating in my head. And her sidekick is a boy named Augustus Blue. And my son's girlfriend has a, a brother or a cousin whose real name is Augustus Blue. And I'm like, that dude just needs a series because his name is so cool. <laughs> so those two characters are ruminating in my head. I don't know what they're going to do, um, <clears throat> uh, but they're kind of making a story in the background. So that's what's next for me. All right. All right. So, again, the book is The Edge of Every Wind by A.S. Mackey. It is releasing from uh, B&H Publishing uh, sometime in May. Do you know the exact date? I'm looking at the back of the book. It just yes, says May. May 12th. So May 12th. May 12th. For me, it's two weeks from tomorrow. <laughs> okay, yes. So uh, by the time that this interview goes up, the book will have just been on shelves long enough uh, for you to to maybe have already seen it. If you If you've been out in bookstores... I don't know that we'll be back in bookstores <laughs> by that point. Um, who knows? Who knows? It's a strange time of life. So, uh, so yeah, I guess congratulations for you trying to like Thank release you. your first Thank book you so much. Uh, in the middle of a pandemic. I'm sure that's exactly how you yeah. expected <laughs> all of the marketing and everything to go. That like uh, my first book is being released and bookstores are shut down across the nation uh, has got to be a unique feeling. Uh, you know, Amazon's Amazon will deliver, but it's going to take a month. Um, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll get this book into the hands of people somehow, some way. The book is the edge yeah. of every win and it is just, um, just, just a beautiful, it's just a beautiful book. I, I really, I really enjoyed it. It gave me shades of, like I said, a series of unfortunate events. It gave me shades of the page master. Um, oh yes. Yes. I've heard it, that reference as well. It was it was a very it was a very unique read, and I say that as someone who reads so so much. Um, so for a book, for a, for a book to Yay, take me by surprise, <laughs> yes, for a book to take me by surprise, and for me not to really know what's going to to happen next uh, is unusual for me. So I I I love this book. I love its connection to literature. Uh, it was a book that I savored, even though it is a middle grade fiction um i actually only read a few chapters every night just because i wanted to stay in the world a little bit longer 
uh, and because it was short enough chapters that I could just, you know, just a few minutes here and there uh, was how I decided to read read this book uh, because I wanted to make it last. Uh, and then actually, when we scheduled this interview, I was like, I have to pick up the pace a little bit, so I finish it before <laughs> I talk to you. Um, so you're you're gonna love the book. Go out and get it. You're gonna be able to to see a link to it on the website as well uh, with our review of it. And Allison, uh, thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.